I personally want to wish a happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Can we give it up really big for all the dads in the room online? So thankful for dads. And one of the things that I love about this time of year, June, and coming up on Father's Day, is just all the dad advice that's posted on social media, that's posted on Twitter, or dadvice, as it's called. I picked out some of my favorites for you here, just some great dad advice, because dads always have the best advice. It says, my dad always tells me, don't use your turn signal. It's no one else's business where you're going. (laughs) For sure, my father-in-law, Bob, has used this before. I know that I've heard it out of his mouth. Or this next one here, At the airport, my dad said, put one shoe in each suitcase, so if it gets stolen, they can't wear your shoes. (laughs) Hey, great advice. Or this last one here. One time my dad said to me, son, you need to learn patience, and you need to learn it now. I know that I have had that moment with my kids when it comes to patience. But I think this Father's Day, we should give dad some extra love because it's been a tough year, year and a half on dads. And I know it, it takes a whole home to really manage the home, but for all you dads that just carried a little bit of extra financial stress this last year because it was an incredibly hard season, or all you dads that carried extra safety and, and health stress, just how do I keep that family healthy, uh, just appreciate you and that. Or maybe you're like me and you carried the role of IT director in your home this last year with online school. I found myself most days just standing by waiting for the Wi-Fi to go down or a laptop to not work, neither of which I'm qualified to work on, but we only had one option and I got in there trying to fix it as quickly as possible. Another role that I kind of assumed in our home was the role of math teacher. I just found myself, like the way I saw the world was more through numbers, was more through math, so I was more qualified to help the kids with their math homework, be the math teacher, where we found out that Laura was more qualified to be the English teacher, reading and writing and helping the kids with, you know, she sees the world more through words, and so she was more qualified to help with that homework. And then we saw the same to be true as it came to our two kids. Avery, our oldest daughter, very good with words, very good in in English, reading and writing, just kind of saw the world through words. And Quinn, very self-sufficient in math, needed very little help with her math homework, was very good, got very good grades in math. So you had me and Quinn that were great with math. You had Avery and Laura that were great with words and English and reading and writing. And in talking to other people, I realized that a lot of us kind of see the world through one of those two lenses. If I was to pull this room online or other locations, put your hand in the air if you're more a numbers, uh, uh, see the world through mathematics, you see more numbers in your head, yeah, you can do long division in your head, but putting a comma in the right place in a sentence baffles you, it's 100% me. Or raise your hand if you just see the world more through words, English, reading, writing, you're just better with words. Yeah, it's about 50-50 in this room, split in half. It's funny when we see the world through one or the other, how we kind of tend to discount one, right? Like, I always saw the world through math and numbers, so I never really tried to excel or be very good in English, reading and writing. Or if you're great at reading and writing, maybe you never even tried to be extra great in mathematics. When both, when used in the right context, used in the right place, can be very beneficial for us to have a proper understanding because they both have their place in time that they can benefit us. Well, this tension between math and English, there's a similar tension in the Bible, or I should say perceived tension when it comes to, this, to these two words, works and faith, or the law and our faith. 
See, the people throughout the Old Testament, they didn't have the sacrifice of Jesus. They didn't have Jesus coming, dying on the cross, uh, living a perfect life, forgiving us our sins, that sacrifice, that, that salvation that we have. And so was it their works that saved them, them obeying the law, them obeying the commandments, being, uh, uh, having good deeds, or was it still their faith? Because there's still great examples of great faith by the Old Testament characters. And then you flash forward to the New Testament. So Jesus has come and his disciples and and those following him and the authors of the New Testament books. You have Paul who says, faith alone will save you. Faith is all you need. Faith alone will save you. But then James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without good deeds, faith without the law is dead. So is, it, is James correct or is Paul correct? Are they saying different things? Is there tension there? Or, you know, do, these, do they not see eye to eye? Well, today we're going to dive into that. We're going to be looking at how Jesus flips the script on everything and how he gives us the correct way to understand and see both faith and works. And we're in this series called Good News, journeying through the book of Romans and just discovering how grace, how it changes everything. In week one, Pastor Judd was in Romans 1, really just helping us understand the good news about Jesus, an incredible message about Jesus and who he was. And then week two, we were in Romans 2, where Pastor Judd was teaching us just the good news about life change. In week three, we're going to be in Romans 3, and we're going to be looking at the good news about this word faith. And when we have a proper understanding of faith, and the relationship between the law and, and our works, we can obtain a new identity and see the results of a changed life, a true changed life. But the first thing we have to understand is we have to rework our works. Rework your works. Now, this weekend is Father's Day weekend, and, and I don't want to go any further without first saying that I know this weekend can be a hard weekend for some in the room, for some online Because maybe uh, you lost your father and this day just reminds you of that loss. Maybe your father was never a great presence in your home. Maybe your father was never present in your home. And I just want to let you know that you have a heavenly father that loves you. He's looking out for you. He is for you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're with you. Today, though, I want to show my gratitude and my thankfulness for my own dad in my life because I had a really good dad in my life. He loved us. He was really good to us kids. There's four of us, so I have three siblings, two brothers and a sister. I'm the oldest, and every time we came of driving age, my dad would just let us borrow his car. I can remember for the first time I got my license at 15 years old, and I know for some of you parents, you're like, You've got middle schoolers, you might have a 15-year-old now, you're like, they are not ready to drive a car. I get it. I wasn't ready to drive a car. But you could get your license at 15. And I can remember getting my license, and like every teenager getting his license or her license for the first time, I'm ready to go. I've got to go places. I've, I've got things to do. Any errand you need, I'll run it. I'll go to the store. What do you need? I'm, I'm going. And I also didn't have the means to get myself the vehicle to get me to all these places yet. I'm only 15. So who did I turn to? I turned to dad. Dad, can I borrow your car? My dad was always so gracious, always so kind, always letting me use his car. In fact, it got to the point that I was using the car so much that my dad would come to me to ask me to borrow his car to go to the places 
that he needed to go. It was a messed up system, but I obviously worked it right where I quickly obtained this car. Well, now flash forward two years, I have just saved up enough money to get a down payment on not a new car, but a new car to me. I've, I've shown that I can be responsible holding a job, can pay for my own gas money, can help chip in towards insurance. So we go and we get my first car. And I was just a dumb, idiot, reckless, fast teenage driver. I just was. And I had this new car and it was a fast car. And to make a long story really short, I can remember racing down a back mountain road with a buddy and we end up in a car accident. By the grace of God, nobody was hurt, but it was a really bad accident. I caused not only uh, weeks of, of repairs and damage, it was months of repairs and damage. That's how bad my car was. It was like one notch from being considered totaled. So lots of repairs, and now I was gonna be without a car again, and I still had things to do. I still had places to go. So once again, I turn to dad. Dad, can I borrow your car? And I'm sure at this point, he's a little apprehensive because now I've almost totaled a car. He has a brand new car. He had traded in his car for a new car, and he tells me, Nick, you can borrow it. Just be careful with this car. Well, I heard the words, but I didn't listen to them. That wreck, it taught me nothing. Like I still was a fast driver, an impatient driver. And I can remember this time where I come flying into this gas station and I pull up to the first pump and it's got those yellow plastic handles that says out of order. Now I'm frustrated because I'm in a hurry. So I throw it into reverse, back up to the pump behind me. Well, what I wasn't paying attention to was those cement ballards, those uh, that sit there, those cement poles to block the gas pump. And I just back that mirror right into that cement pole. And I can remember hearing that passenger mirror, just the, the crunching of the metal, shattering of the glass. I get out, I run around the car, and the mirror is just hanging by one little wire on the side of the car. I'm thinking I'm dead. I am in so much trouble when I get home. I don't have the means to fix this. I don't have the supplies. I don't know how to fix this. So I start thinking in my head, what am I going to do? Well, the first thing I knew, because I was a teenager that had a little bit of wisdom, was fill this car up with gas. Because the worst thing you could do is bring it home empty and broken. We're going to make sure this has a full tank. And then when I got home, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do the works. I'm going to wash the car. I'm going to wax the car. I'm going to get those windows sparkling. I'm going to get those tires shine. I'm going to move my way to the interior, carpets vacuum, seats leather condition, dash wipe, because surely the interior clean will distract from this broken mirror on the exterior, right? Like logic, teenage logic doesn't make sense, but I'm just doing all the works. And I think when dad gets home, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet him in the driveway. We're going to celebrate and talk about all the hard work I did. Everything I did to make this car shine and look so good right now. I'm going to talk about how it's got a full tank of gas. Surely he won't even pay attention to the mirror. Well, I go inside and what I didn't anticipate was dad, who had to get a ride, getting a ride home early from work and being home early. And you know the sound as a kid of the front door, like, when you're, you just get familiar with it, whether it's an alarm that beeps or the door creaks, like I can still hear the sound of the front door. And many times that was a joyous sound because it's like dad's home and like run to go see dad. Well, this time I hear the front door and I think dad's home. <laughs> no, I didn't meet him in the driveway. We didn't get to talk about all the good works I did. And the very first thing out of his mouth is, Nick, what happened to the mirror on my car? I was busted. All my work, all my effort, all my ideas to try to distract him from the damage. And there was nothing that I could do to fix my mistake. 
Now, as ridiculous as my story is, and, and, and as ridiculous as my actions were or might sound, isn't that a lot how we treat our relationship with God at times? Like, God, if I can just do enough good things, if I serve at a food pantry, if I'm, if I'm a generous tipper, if, if I text people nice things I say about them, if I'm always waving, if I'm following the law, I'll always go the speed limit. I'll always use my turn signal. In fact, I'll go walk around the neighborhood. I'll clean up trash on the side of the road. That'd be enough, right? Or maybe it's even spiritually. God, I will read my Bible every day. I promise I'll pray. I'll use all the right words. This time I won't fall asleep while I'm praying. I'll stay up the whole prayer till the amen, God. Or I'll memorize the Ten Commandments. I'll come to church ten weekends in a row. Surely that's enough to get me into God's good graces. And while all those things are great, you're making the world a better place. You're making yourself a better person. You're becoming better. Everything's getting better. But you're doing your best and all we're going to find out from Romans 3 is that none of them, even all of them added up, are not enough to get you into God's good grace, to get you into heaven. In fact, Paul spends 20 verses of a 31-verse chapter just telling us how sin keeps us from being justified before God, being declared righteous or right before God. That's two-thirds of the chapter, well... For you math nerds, that's 64.5%, because I said 20 into 31, of the chapter highlighting that there is nothing we can do. There's nothing. There's no good person. We're all bad. Our mistakes, our sins, they have us doomed. We're cut off. We're separated from God. In fact, look at what Paul says in Romans 3, verse 20. When we get to the red word, say that red word out loud with me. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so we kind of come up with this equation in our head that contradicts the Bible. We think to ourselves, if I can just do enough good works, if this hammer represented the law, it represented our good deeds, it represented the things that we can do, the works we can do, we think, if I can just do enough good things, surely that will equal eternity with me and God. I'm in his good grace. I'm spending forever with him. Surely that's enough, right? Surely he'll see my heart. He'll see all the good I'm doing. God's not going to send a good person to hell, right? He's going to see it. He's going to see me. And so many times we think we can pull ourselves out of the mess we find ourselves in by doing good things. And we're going to find out that we think we can save ourselves or protect ourselves by following governing laws, biblical laws, moral laws, but truly we can't. I have some bad news. And I thought this message was, the series was all on good news, Nick. Why are you telling us bad news? Well, I have to tell you the bad news first. The bad news, there is nothing we can personally do. We can try to do all the right things. But what Paul's telling us is all those laws, all those rules, all those good works, they're in place to help steer people towards a healthy life. You end up doing good, but in the end, all it does is just show you, show you where you are fall short. Paul says it right there in verse 20. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the law, it can, it can make us, it can, or I should say the law is right, but it cannot make us right. All those good deeds, all those good things that we do, yes, they are good. They are good things, 
but they cannot make us right. We have to rework our works. So if our works can't lead the way, well, then where do we start? Well, that brings me to my next point, is we start with faith. We start with faith. Back to the story on my dad. He comes in. He's angry. He's mad. Ah, Nick, what happened to my mirror? I'm freaking out upstairs. And I start thinking of every excuse that I can in my head. Like, maybe I can have a good enough reason that I was being careless. I'll, I'll tell him that I was being chased. Anybody use this excuse for driving fast? Like, someone was mad at me. They were chasing me. I was running from my life, Dad, and I hit a mirror. And uh, it was out of my own safety that I was being reckless or coming up with other lies in my head that might justify why I broke his mirror but I came to the conclusion that I just needed to own it I just needed to fess up I just needed to be honest with him and so I summoned up the courage and I walked down the stairs and I said dad I have no excuse I was being reckless I was being careless I broke your mirror and he said well I appreciate your honesty but I need to go get quotes on what this is going to cost you to fix because we need to get this fixed I can remember thinking in my head, like, oh, no. I walked upstairs with just, like, a, my, my stomach, my pit in my stomach. I, I remember thinking, like, it doesn't matter if this fix is $50, a million dollars. I don't have it. All my funds were wrapped up, getting my car fixed. I'm broke. I have nothing. Is he going to be even more mad when he finds out I don't even have the money to fix his car? He's already mad, and now I'm just going to anger him more. And I can remember that night, right before bedtime, he called me down to the kitchen table and he sat me down and he said, Nick, I, I got the quotes back from the auto body shops, the mechanics, and I picked the best, cheapest quote. And he turned the computer and, and I remember scrolling through the lines, trying to get to the total real quick. It says $375. $375 to fix a mirror. We're not talking a full length mirror that sits in your living room. We're talking a little mirror, side of the car, my head can't wrap I can't wrap my mind around the fact that this is $375. And then out of his mouth is the best news that I could be given. He says, but you don't have to pay for it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix the mirror. I, this bill isn't yours. This bill is mine. I've got it. That was incredible news. I was so, dad, are you sure? Are you sh and he's like, don't talk me out of it. I'm sure I'm going to take care of this for you. Thank you, dad. It was such good news. And earlier, just a second ago, I, I promised you some good news from Romans. And when we go to Romans 21 and 22, we're going to get the absolute best news that we could ever be given. Now, up to verse 20, everything's bad. Paul tells us everything is doom. We can't make ourselves right before God. We can't get in his good grace. But then check out what verse 21 says. And the red words are right at the top. And the reason the red words are right at the top is because they are pivotal words in this verse. So I'm going to count us in because it's important that we all say them together. Because this is a turning point in the whole chapter of Romans. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then we're going to come in. You ready? One, two, three. But now, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. So if you have your Bible in front of you, if you're, if you're one that, yeah, give it up for that. That is the pivotal turning point in the Bible. 
But if you have a physical copy of your Bible, if you're a, a highlighter, a circler, a writer, I want you to circle Romans 21 and 22. If you're using the Bible app, you can highlight these two verses. Martin Luther, who's one of the most influential leaders in church history, he wrote in the margins of his Bible that this was the chief point, the very central point of not only Romans, but of the whole Bible. And here's why. It's because up to this point, all of Paul's bad news, all the bad news we get in the first chapters of Romans, chapter 1, chapter 2, the first 20 verses of Romans 3 where Paul's painting a picture that everything is bad, there's nothing we can do, all of that highlights the miracle of the good news. The bad news is there's nothing we can do ourselves to save and make ourselves right before God. The good news, God provided a way, and all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ to accept him as our Lord and Savior. That's the free gift. It doesn't matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how messed up we see ourselves, no matter who we hurt, no matter who hurt us, no matter how damaged we see ourselves, no matter what we're addicted to, what we were addicted to, no matter how horrible of a person we think we are, no matter how broken your family is, no matter if you had a dad in your life, a mom in your life, no matter if you spent time in prison, no matter if you think you're just too far gone, you are made right before God just by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So we can trade this works out. We can trade this out. For all of us, all of us, this should be the very best news. And I know, I know some of us that we're thinking, if news is too good to be true, surely it has to be, right? Well, that's not the case here. It's not. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're made right before God. It's the price he paid on the cross that frees us from the punishment of sin. If we were standing before a judge knowing that we were fully guilty, the judge knows we're guilty. Before he can even or she can even get to the verdict, Jesus is saying they're mine. They're washed clean. They're not guilty. Their debt has been paid in full. You are fully saved and in God's grace, spending eternity with him in heaven by your faith alone. But here's the deal. Faith won't make things easy. It's not going to make things easy. But it does make things possible. And that's good news. And so we have to start with faith. Which brings me to my last point, which is we have to let our faith work. Let your faith work. My dad, back to that story, was so gracious of letting me, A, use his car, B, forgiving that debt, paying that bill. And I can remember there would be times as a, as a teenager, even as an adult, that I would need to borrow his car again. And every time I asked to borrow his car, even though I, I broke it the first time, you'd think that I would have lost his trust. He was still gracious, kind, let me borrow his car. But every time I took it on after that accident, after, after he paid that price on that bill, I was incredibly careful with that car. I wanted to return it better than I found it. Why? Because, because I, I wanted to protect that love that he showed me. I wanted to recognize that grace that he showed me in paying that bill. Can you imagine if the very first time that I had that car, if I just took it four-wheeling, if I just drove it around fast, if I broke both mirrors off thinking, oh, well, he's going to pay it again. He did it once. Surely he's going to be kind enough to take care of this. I, I won't have to owe anything on it. No. Why? Because I saw that love showed me. I owed a debt I couldn't pay, but out of an act of love, that debt was paid in full, and that changed me. 
I wanted to be better. And Paul, he wants to make sure we understand the same when it comes to our faith in Jesus. That our new faith, it changes us. It gives us a new identity. He says the old life is past and the new life has begun. So our relationship with the law and good works, it changes in our new identity. In fact, I want you to look at how Romans chapter 3 wraps up in verse 31. It says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. I love Paul's sarcasm here. Of course not. Of course it doesn't mean that we can just go on sinning, that we can forget about our works. He's trying to talk to the church in Rome and saying, they're asking, well, if God is just a gracious God, if it glorifies him to forgive sin, well, then why don't we just keep going on doing what we're doing? Why don't we just keep going on sinning? That brings God glory. That brings him happiness to forgive our sins. We don't have to be accountable for our bad actions, our works. Let's just keep going the way we're going. And Paul says, no, no, of course not. Your works are just as much a part of the whole story. And so I know you're thinking, Nick, is there some catch here? You just said faith in Jesus alone. Now Paul's telling us that our works, our good deeds, Like, that has to be a a part of this. Like, there should be good works. Where does this fit into the equation? And I know some of you are thinking, like, I can see where this is going. So we have our faith in Jesus. We have the the cross. We have an addition sign of just add that with our works, with our good deeds. And that will equal eternity with God. Our faith, our works, eternity with him. That's the simplest equation, right? This is the equation that we think can make sense But I have to tell you that this is drastically wrong. This completely contradicts the Bible because what this equation is saying is that faith in Jesus, the cross, it wasn't sufficient on its own. And when you read the Bible, the cross was sufficient on its own. You can't put any addition to the cross. It's good enough on its own. So this equation does not make sense. And so Nick, you're frustrated like, What is going on? What is the equation? You think that I've trapped myself here? Like, how's Nick going to get out of this now? You can't use a multiplication symbol. You're trying to do the math in your head. You're getting frustrated. Get this guy off the stage. I'm mad. I've got a headache now. And the reason that we get mad, the reason that we get frustrated, and the reason we're having a hard time understanding the equation is because the Bible never intended itself to be understood through an equation or a formula. This is something that I just had to learn the hard way. There's this theory out there that the whole world can be understood through math. And a lot of us, we look at the Bible this way and we try to challenge it as as if the math doesn't add up. But that's not the case here. It's just not the case. The Bible, it never intended itself to be understood mathematically. Because remember, Jesus came and he flipped the whole script. He flipped and changed everything. So what we need to do is we need to piece together words. We need to look at his words, which when put together would look a lot like this. If I put my faith in Jesus, he will do good works through me and I will be with him forever. That's the sentence, church. That's the good works. That's our lifelong process. That's what we're moving towards. So this faith in Jesus, it 
frees you from the penalty of sin. You no longer have this unpayable debt that you can't pay. He has you covered. And then he will do good works. The way you live, your actions, there'll be an overflow of God within you. This is the process of being made new. It's what frees us from the power of sin. Yes, we will still struggle along the way. But we're no longer fully controlled by sin. And I will be with him forever. You will be in the presence of God's grace and glory when we spend eternity with him. It frees us from the presence of sin. Free from the penalty and punishment of sin. Free from penalty and punishment of sin. Free from the power of sin. Free from the presence of sin. No more hurt. No more struggle. No more pain. No more stress. No more division. No more sickness. No more depression. No more shame. No more evil. Simply put, we will see you in heaven. But the thing about faith is it works. It works. So let's see, does our new sentence make sense with what both Paul and James might have seemed to be contradicting themselves with? Paul says in Romans 3.28, so we are made right by God, by our faith in him, by through faith and not obeying the law. Yes, that makes sense here. And then James says in 2.17, so you see faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So does that make sense here? Yes, It does. If you were to get a long letter from someone you loved, you wouldn't just read two sentences, right? You wouldn't just read two sentences and sum up the whole letter in those two sentences. No. You'd read the whole thing. You'd read the whole thing and put together the words. The good news about faith is the bigger picture. There's this consistent and beautiful letter from God right here. It weaves it all together, all the little parts. So remember, at times when you read these verses, you're, you're only seeing part of that sentence. And that sentence, it's a process. When you put them all together, Jesus' disciples, these authors, this perfect word is spelling out one beautiful sentence. And you might be saying to yourself, Nick, I don't, I don't know. Like I still, I know I put my faith in Jesus. I know I, I trust him. I know I, I, I had a new life in him. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, but I still don't see those good works coming out of my own life. And that's understandable, but you just come right back to here. God, persuade me again, remind me again of my faith in you. I put my faith in you again, and then send your spirit, send the Holy Spirit to do good works through me. Free me of the power of sin. I know you freed me from the punishment, but now free me from the power. It's okay to come back right to here. But this is where it all starts. And I know for some of you in the room, you haven't even had an opportunity to start this sentence at all. That you haven't had an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. And the whole reason that we get that opportunity is right here. It's the cross. It's his sacrifice on the cross for you. It's the way that he showed you that he loved you. And so if you're ready to start that sentence, If you're ready for a life change, for a new life, if you're ready to see God do good works through you, if you're ready to spend eternity with him, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to start this sentence, to pray that prayer. It's just one prayer, just saying these words and meaning it with your whole heart. So church, if everybody will close their eyes and bow their heads, I'm gonna lead those of you that want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior in this prayer. Just say these words after me, God, I love you. 
I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken, but I'm ready to put my trust in you. I know that you died on the cross for me. I know that you, that you defeated death, that you rose from the grave. And in doing so, you washed my sins clean. I ask for forgiveness from those sins. I name you my personal Lord and Savior. I'm ready to spend eternity with you. I'm ready for a new life. And Central Family, if anyone in the room, if anyone online, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, if you would just do me a favor, if you just slip your hand up in the air, just making it all the more real to you, just before you and God, just saying, God, I name you my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. So much courage, but such a big life commitment. So just slip that hand up in the air, just making that real for you. Thank you. God, I thank you for these hands. I thank you that you even gave us a way out of the punishment of sin, Father, that you provided us a way through our faith. Be with each one of these hands as they stretch them out to you, Father, naming you their Lord and Savior. Start to change them, start to free them from the power of sin, start to give them that new life, Father. And for everyone in the room that continues to just strive to follow you, let just do a good work in them, Father. Recognize their faith. Just continue to free them from the power of sin. And we all look forward to the day that we can spend with you free from the presence of sin, Father. We lift up this weekend to you. I lift up all the dads in the room that we just celebrate them so well this weekend, Father. We're so thankful for all the great fathers in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's give it up for those that made first-time decisions today. Hey, if you made that decision, I just want to point out that if you put in your web browser, just central.family, you don't need a www. That's like our main website there, central.family. It has quick links to things. One of the quick links is this link, I've decided to follow Jesus. And there we have this how to follow Jesus guide. It's just going to help partner with the Bible and give you some next steps in the coming days as you start to figure out how to live in this new life and how to follow Jesus. Well, hey, I appreciate you spending your Father's Day weekend with us. At this time, I'm going to turn it over to one of our location pastors, Brandon, who's going to walk us through some next steps.